0: We are starting a new series today called The Power of One. Would you say that with me? The Power of One. Come on one more time. The Power of One. Of one, That's right. This Louisiana kid, he, uh, he moved to Texas and uh, he was trying to get a job. And so he went to one of these giant superstore, sells everything from cars to toilet paper kind of places. And, and he went and he got an interview with the manager and the manager said, son, do you have any sales experience? He said, well, you know, back in Louisiana, I would sell crawfish on the side of the road. He said, well, I don't know if that's going to work here, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you a shot. I'll give you one day, kind of prove yourself. So he put him out on the floor and he said, listen, at the end of the day, I'll come check on you and see how you did and so the day came to an end and the manager went down found that little Cajun boy and he said son he said how many sales did you make he said he said i made one sale he said son one sale he said my salesmen sell between 20 and 30 sales a, a day you you're not going to be able to keep this job if you only make one sale he said well at least how much was the one sale he says well it was $153,643 $643 and 39 cents he said you sold one cell worth $153,000? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, I did. He said, how did that happen? He said, well, this man came and he was looking at, he was looking at uh, uh, hooks and so I told him, I said, sir, you know, you don't need to just buy those hooks. You need to buy, do you have a good fishing rod and reel? And he goes, no, I don't really have a good fishing rod and reel. So I helped him find some good fishing rods and reels and he, and he bought those and then we got to talking. I said, well, where are you going to go fishing? He goes, well, I guess I'll go down, you know, South Texas somewhere, you know. And He goes, oh, if you're going to go out in the bay or the ocean like that. You're going to need a big boat. And so I brought him over to the boat section and he ended up buying a, a $70,000 Chris Craft, you know, with two dual engines on the back of it. And then I asked him, I said, well, what are you going to pull it with? And he says, well, I don't think my Mercedes will pull that boat. And he said, well, okay. And so I brought him over to the auto department and he, and he bought him a big giant utility vehicle that he paid like 70 grand for. It. And so yeah, $153,000 plus some change. <laughs> the manager could not believe it. He said, that's unbelievable. The guy just came in for hooks and you sold him a boat. And a truck. He goes, No, 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 no. No, the guy came in for toilet paper because his mother in law was coming in town for the spare bedroom. And I told him, Dude, your weekend shot. You might as well go fishing. Come on, somebody. We're talking about the power of one <laughs> decision today. Our, uh, our key scripture is Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Turn there quickly. And if you don't have your Bibles, we'll put it up on the screen for you. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says it like this I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Father, I pray over the next couple of minutes that you would help me articulate your heart, your desires. What we find in scripture is important to you. Lord, that you would help our church, our members, our people, Lord God, us be men and women who know how, love to, and want to share your truth with others. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, over these next four weeks that supernatural things would happen in our midst. And that friends and relatives and co-workers would come to know the power of Jesus Christ in their life. Lord, we call these things as so in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. So the purpose of this series, I have a couple reasons that I'm teaching on the power of one. Uh, first off, the theme behind it is that each and every one of us can take what God's done in our life and help someone else come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And So the goal in this series, I want to educate you a little bit. I want to get you past some fears and some insecurities. I want you to help catch the heart of the God, Father God. In the same way, while he, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did for others. And that God's put you in contact with people uh, on purpose that you can make a difference in their lives. And so we're then going to close out this series on August 27th, which is the last Sunday, which is again about three Sundays from now. August 27th, mark your calendar. And that'll be a Sunday where you can bring your your lost friend, the most wicked person you know who thinks all preachers are doing nothing but stealing money and would never grace the doors of a church. We're going to create that service in such a way for about an hour and 15 minute service. We can only do about an hour and a half in a way that they could receive Christ they could feel and know the love of God you could be proud to bring them to your church the kids ministry will be doing there once a month where they do their big fun time I think they call it fun day Sunday or Sunday fun day and so that'll be fun for the kids and bring and so that your neighbors coworkers, people that you know could come to that gathering that particular Sunday and let's believe God to see their life turn around would you believe that with me say yes amen thank you today we're going to camp out uh, in uh, book of Acts chapter 8 Read this passage, and we're going to break it down to you. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. This is this experience that Philip has with an Ethiopian. And so if we will turn there, and I'll read it to you. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news. Say that with me, the good news. One more time, the good news. About Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way. Rejoicing! Come on. Everybody said amen and amen to the reading of the scripture. What I love about this passage, and let me just kind of break down this a little bit. First, let's start with Philip. Now, Philip is this guy um, who's very special in scripture. Uh, as we see the church starting there in the book of Acts chapter 1, and God anoints, you know, the disciples or become the apostles, and uh, they become kind of the leaders of the church, Peter, James, John, all these apostles. Well, what happens is in the midst of all these people getting saved, and they develop the church, the community. Of believers, and they're trying to take care of people because now they're leaving Judaism and they're coming into Christianity, and they still go over to the temple for the reading of the scriptures, uh, but they they're coming into the body of believers, and so because of that, the needs become crazy and great, and so the apostles begin to drop the ball on taking care of the needs of the people. In other words, all of a sudden, widows aren't getting taken care of, and they had this this thing that they did was they took care of widows by bringing them food and taking care of their financial uh, issues, and the church gave money towards it, and so. So a group of the widows were not being taken care of, and so people began complaining. And It was, it was the, uh, the Grecian widows or the, or the Greek widows, and so they began complaining, and so the apostles said, what are we going to do? We can't fix all this and lead the church and know, and study theology so we can get it all straight because we don't even understand all this stuff that's happening. God's just moving in our life. So they said, listen, it's not good for us to do that. Instead, why don't you guys pick seven men that you see are full of the Holy Spirit full of integrity, full of character and have a call of God on their life. Pick them bring them to us and we'll put our hands on them and send them to be the ones who do all the work of distributing these things for the for for these widows. And so they picked a number of them and Philip was one of them. Now Philip probably had his own business. We know that he had daughters. They were later called, the, the, they were called prophetess. I think he had five daughters or something like that. And so Philip probably had his own business and when he would pause in the middle of the day with his business he'd go and take care of widows and then he'd go back to his business and things like that. But Philip really was being used by by the Lord just to serve. He wasn't any big name preacher or anything like that. They weren't going around, you know, following in his shadow, like what was happening with Peter and getting healed. Just a good dude serving God and, and with a call of God on his life and walking in character and integrity. What happens then in Jerusalem that persecution hits Jerusalem because the church is mainly there, and they begin to take Christians and they begin to put them in the Colosseum and beat them and have the you know have, have the guys kill them with swords and lions and tigers and bears and all that kind of stuff. And so when persecution Many of the Christians began to kind of flee away from Jerusalem and go to some of the outlining areas. Philip, according to Acts chapter 8, went to Samaria. When he gets to Samaria, he's on fire for God. He's just been persecuted; he could die any minute. So he just starts preaching to people on the streets, talking to people standing in line at Walmart. You know, just talking to people as he's getting his electricity set up for his new his new apartment and 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 getting his wife, you know, and his, their kids enrolled in school. He's just talking to people, and so people start getting saved. They start having miracles. And I picture it kind of be like you and I were there in line, uh, we're there, uh, you know, on aisle, you know, twelve at Walmart, and this lady's in a wheelchair, and all of a sudden we feel like we're just supposed to pray for, her. and so they pray. We pray. For and she jumps up out of the wheelchair. Next thing you know, her, her older daughter comes over and says, What did you do to my mama? And they like, She just got healed. And then we touch her, and all of a sudden she falls down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then people come and what's going on here? And next thing you know, they start dropping on their knees, confessing that they've been in adultery, and all of a sudden, blind eyes are opening, and Walmart's got revival going on. And all of a sudden, TMZ shows up with their cameras and they're reporting live of what's happening at the Walmart. Come on, somebody. And Cedar Hill or Samaria, excuse me. And all these things are happening. And the next thing you know, Justin Bieber gets right with God, and he starts tweeting out about it, and he's saying, oh my God, I was just over at the Walmart with Philip, and dude, you're not going to believe this junk is real, this junk is real, I actually can sing again, and all this stuff starts happening, and they start, and they just start putting it there, and that's what he's in the middle of, it is a revival, and then one of the guys, you know, like, uh, what's that magician guy, Chris somebody, Chris Demon guy, what's his name, Chris... Chris Angel, he gets saved. He's like, dude, this is legit. All the junk I've been doing is demonized. I give up my demons, and I'm going to follow Philip, and he's telling me more about Jesus. He's running around. All these dignitaries are running around following Philip. They're They're going to people's mansions, and people are coming to the mansion getting saved. Then they're going out in the streets. All this stuff is happening, and then all of a sudden, an angel comes to Philip and says, now I want you to go out in the desert. Lead the revival and go out on the road to Gaza in the desert. The Bible says that an angel told him to do this. I'm convinced the reason why an angel had to tell him to do it is because the Holy Spirit had been telling him. He's like, "Nah, I ain't doing that. That ain't the Lord. Because I'm in the midst of revival right now. Surely God's not going to send me into the desert. Friend, I want you to know something. Some of you have missed the move of God in your life because you were so, so caught up and trying to keep the past revival going that you missed that God's trying to send you into the desert. But in the desert is an Ethiopian who's going to change the world if you will simply obey. We're talking today about the power, come on now, the power of a moment of obedience. The power of being, making the decision to obey the Lord one decision of obedience and the power that it has. Philip says, yeah, I'll go. And he leaves the revival. He leaves the popularity of it. He, listen guys, he's been a nobody, the apostles, Philip, and now all of a sudden this thing is on. It gets so amped up that Jerusalem sends Peter and them to go check it out to see if this thing is real because they cannot believe that the Samaritans are having revival. And the reason why they can't believe Samaritans are having revival is because Jews do not like Samaritans. Jews don't like Samaritans because Samaritans were Jews who married all the different nationalities, which then bled out, if you will, or exposed what was supposed to be pure Jewish religion, Judaism, to all these other false teachings. And they intermingled, if you will. And so they are not as good as full-blooded Jews. They're like mulattoes. They're like mixed. Come on, somebody. We got a whole church of us that's mixed. That's why when you look at me, you see I got black, white, and Hispanic down in my, in my genes somewhere. And so God, when he does this great big miracle in the book of Acts, he doesn't just go do it in Jerusalem. He then says, watch this. I'm going to go to who y'all think don't deserve it, who you think are half-breeds. I'm going to go and do something supernatural in the midst of these guys who are mixed And what that does is it forces something to happen. And every Jewish boy and girl that would call themselves Christians, they have to now embrace that they've been prejudiced. Come on now. And they have to embrace that God is not limited by what you think is right. What he does is he goes and he makes all things good. Come on, somebody. And he gets down in the midst of this thing and revival happens. So Philip is leading this thing. Philip is the point of reference for this thing. And all of a sudden an angel says, now God wants you to go out on a desert road by yourself. Most of us would be like, Yeah, that ain't God. I bind every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. I'm in the midst of God doing something, and God would not take me away from it and put me out in a deserted place. So you gotta understand there were two roads that left Jerusalem. And this road particular that we're talking about that went down through Gaza, Gaza was a deserted city out towards the desert, out along that desert border. The only people that took that road were those going down to Egypt. And it was many, many miles away. In fact, that area of Egypt, they considered that to be the end of the world. It was kind of a colloquial concept. <laughs> You're going to the end of the world, going down to Egypt. And so, and when God, tells through an angel, tells Philip to go down on this road to go, that goes down to Egypt, he knows that he's going into a dry place. Come on, Christian. He knows he's going into a lonely place. Come on, revivalist. And what happens is, he makes a decision to walk in obedience. And as a result, as we read in this passage, as he's walking along, there's nobody out on this road. Nobody travels this road. All of a sudden, up ahead of him, he sees a guy in a chariot. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. And so let's go there for just a second. This Ethiopian eunuch, if you will, he's, he's a, let me explain that to you. So a eunuch in these days are a man who's had his man parts removed because he serves um, a queen And this particular one serves the queen of Egypt. In fact, he's over the finances, so he is the CFO, if you will, of Egypt. He is the money dude of Egypt. And he's a eunuch because what they believed in those days is that they didn't want anyone, anyone that served the royal family to potentially rape them or molest them and mix the bloodline with subservient people, with, a pure, with pure people. In fact, the Egyptians actually intermingled amongst royalty and had babies and so forth and so on because they thought it was keeping the bloodline pure. And that's why some other scientists believe their heads were oblong and all this kind of weird stuff and all that kind of stuff. And they had defects. And so what you have here is this this man who has made this decision so he could serve at this capacity. He is, if you will, the finance guy of Egypt. He's very important. He's very valuable. He's very influential. He is number one uno, if you will, under the queen there of Egypt. He runs all the money. And he has been up to Jerusalem so that he could worship. So somewhere along the way this man started believing that the God that the Jews serve is the one true God. Egyptians served many gods. You can go back and look at the the, the different things that they served. And they served the sun god and and all the different demonic forces that they invoked and that kind of stuff. And somehow along the way this man realized, wait a minute there is a real God. He is the God of Israel. I'm going to go up to Jerusalem and worship. And what we find him doing is in this scenario, in this scenario is he is reading the, uh, the a scroll of Isaiah now he's reading Isaiah 53 now this is huge because first and foremost no one had scrolls no one could afford scrolls. What would happen was the synagogue would get portions of scripture because again they would handwrite it, meticulously copy it, and then you could purchase it. But it would take the 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 subtotal of a lot of people's finances to be able to purchase. That's why each synagogue would have a portion, and they would share it from synagogue to synagogue. And so this man is so wealthy that he buys his own, and he's sitting in his chariot. Now when we think about chariots, we think about all the movies that we've seen from that area, that era, and mostly time it's a guy, you know, he's standing being pulled by a couple horses, and he's standing up, and he's got you know he's got his spear in one hand and holding the reins in the other and he's fighting in a battle and that's not really what this is it's not a chariot it's more like a carriage he's got a guy it's probably a covered carriage he's sitting in it he's got open sides if you will and he's sitting in it and he's reading now when they read in ancient times they didn't read under their breath or quietly they read out loud and it was first and foremost a sign that you could read was pretty important and that you could read this type of manuscript was really proof that you were pretty intelligent and then they just didn't have it in their way of thinking that they would read quietly they would read out loud. And so he's reading out loud this passage about Jesus. He's reading this passage from Isaiah that's prophesied about the King of glory of the Messiah coming, being humiliating, lowering himself to the form of just a servant so that he may win the entire world back to the Father. He's reading it and he doesn't understand it. as he's reading it... Philip is walking behind him, and the course of the chariot's moving on, being pulled. He's got the attendant probably uh, 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 that's controlling the horses. He's probably got an attendant sitting on the back of the carriage for protection, a couple bodyguards, if you will. And as he does, the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip, go run up alongside of him. And Philip takes off running, and he gets beside him, and he's running as the guy's reading. And he says, you understand what you're reading? And the guy looks over at him and goes, how can I? unless somebody explains it to me. Philip's like, I know what it means. He's like, well, get on up in here. And he pulls him up in the carriage, right? And he, and, and, and he, and he reads it out again. And Philip then says, well, let me explain it to you. And in this moment, Philip explains to him What this passage, what a God passage for this this Ethiopian to be reading. He explains to him everything from the moment of what he's reading to the fact that, hey, listen, this is talking about the Messiah Jesus. I met him. I knew him. He came. He died. He resurrected. And just a few weeks ago, months ago, he outpoured his Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. I just came from Samaria where blind eyes are opening, where paralytics are getting out. It's crazy what God's doing. There's a movement on the earth. And as he's explaining this to this man, this man says what keeps me from being a follower of this Jesus? Look, look, there's some water out in the middle of the desert. There's some water. Here's the piece that I want you to catch though. Philip has left revival to go out in the middle of a desert. He's left where everybody's like, there he is. There's Philip. I want a picture with you. Oh, thank you so much, man. You healed my mom, dude. Thanks so No, it wasn't me, brother. It was Jesus. And they've got this whole thing going back and forth, you know. And, and now all of a sudden, in one moment, this the, the angel says, God wants you on another assignment and sends him out in the middle of nowhere. Here's the problem. Most of us will not leave and let go of past revivals. We still keep... We're trying to get back to Samaria when God's trying to get you down the road, on that road road to Gaza so that there's an Egyptian waiting on you so that you can bring revival to his life. But instead we like the hype and the excitement and we want to get back. Some of you are still talking about how great your small group was back in the 80s. That's awesome. It's gone. Let it go. Let it go. Some of you are still talking about how you had this thing happen back a month ago or six months. That's awesome. Let it go. Let it go. And follow God to the place. Even down through the desert if you have to because he's got a plan. One moment of obedience that changes the history, if you will, of Egypt, especially Ethiopia. It's unbelievable what God has done in this moment. Let's keep looking at it. And so he says, okay, what keeps me from right now being baptized? How does he find this water out in the middle of the desert? It's crazy. So he stops and he says, okay, right here, all because Philip came alongside of him. See, I want you to know something. God has people in your life that you're supposed to come alongside of. But if you're so busy trying to hold on to some revival experience that you had back in Bible school, or some experience that you had back in the day, or trying to get back to some kind of feeling or emotion, and you don't even like the guy who works with you, can, can I tell you something? God has brought people that you don't like, that aren't like you. Do you understand? This Ethiopian has the darkest skin that this, that this Israeli has ever seen. Do you understand? He's not like him. He's pagan. But yet, he's had to, he had to, he'd already been set up because he's already been with the half-breeds, if you will. So he already gets that God's grace and mercy is being poured out on anybody and everyone. And so now he's with this Egyptian. He comes alongside of him. Can I tell you something? God wants you to come alongside some people. You've got some neighbors, some co-workers, a boss, some kids down the street. He wants you to come alongside them so that you can answer their questions. So that you can present to them the power of the gospel. See, do you understand, the gospel is the power unto salvation it's not you, it's not your trickery it's not your slickness, it's not your education, it's not your intellect that's going to cause people to want Jesus it's not even necessarily your testimony, it's the gospel, it has power to change lives and so what does he do, he says he presents to him the gospel the fact that God the creator lost us to sin, but God wanted us back so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life that he came, he lived a holy life he died for our sins he resurrected from that and if we would follow him we will be with him for eternity and we have the same power of the Holy Spirit can flow through us that flow through Jesus and he presents this to this man and he can't take it anymore he says give it to me give it to me now right here there's a mud puddle in the middle of this desert get me in this thing right now and get me baptized and so they jump out of this thing they get down in this water water baptizing so I picture him in the name of the father the the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, the sweet name of Jesus. And when he brings him up out of the water, the scripture says he's immediately teleported 25 miles away. Let me try that again. He's immediately <laughs> teleported 25 miles away. Now, I'll be Philip for a moment. And I baptize you in the name of the Father. He's got the little servant standing around. Name of the Father. And they got their swords ready. If you do anything to my master, I'm going to cut you. In the name of Jesus. And when he lifts up, he's standing 25 miles away, and there's no dude anymore. Just right? That's what I'm talking about. Ah, where am I? Now that's one side. Be the guy getting baptized. Okay, all right, all right, okay. Philip! Listen, they're in the desert. He ain't hiding behind a tree somewhere. There's not a crowd of people walking by that he gets up in the middle of and sneaks away. All his servants are like, dude, I saw him. All of a sudden, it's like, he's just started like, like Star Trek. He's just, the pieces started disappearing. And he wasn't there anymore. And look what the Bible says. It ends it out by saying, it ends out this passage by saying, and, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. I love the scriptures, but that word rejoicing is not a good English concept for what this dude was doing. See, rejoicing for us, we're like, I rejoice, that was awesome. (laughs) He made the putt, oh, good golf game, yay, golf clap. Rejoice, I rejoice, oh, you're so good. This dude, (laughs) look, all right, so, so you're in the desert by yourself, and a dude comes walking up beside you. Explains to you what you've been wigged out about for months now. The power of God comes upon you. Say, I want it. You get water baptized, and as he water baptized you, he's gone. <laughs> gone. This guy ain't going, Yeah, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Oh, I feel him in my life. This guy is going down the street. He's writing songs. You the one I will serve all my days. Ha! 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 I mean, he's preaching to everybody outside. Jesus is real, baby. I'm telling I was lot of that. Day, he's gone. He's gone everywhere. This dude is having a moment. And Frank, can I tell you something? Church history tells us, or excuse me, uh, you know, they, they say that it didn't stop there, that this guy goes and he preaches all over Ethiopia. All over Ethiopia into Egypt and all these areas. That he becomes an evangelist, this eunuch does, and literally changes his world. There's a man, some of you may know this famous man. How many of you guys know the famous man, Sam Martin? Okay, n- nobody really. That's awesome. He's that famous. <laughs> Sam Martin was a teenager in Fort Worth, <clears throat> and he got saved. And Sam <clears throat> started telling all his friends at school, dude, you got you to gotta give Jesus. You got to give your life to Jesus. You got to change, man. You got to change. He had this buddy named John. And John, John was just a rebel. His 1920s, you know, era... And he's just a rebel. He would go to the movie picture show during church. And this friend of his, John, said, you know what? Sam, I don't care anything about this Jesus stuff. You're crazy. Sam would always try to get him to pray at lunch and stuff like that. Leave me alone. I want to hear about it. And his friend John quit school. He starts working at the movie theater there in Fort Worth. And when he'd get off of work at midnight, he'd then go to the clubs till about 2 o'clock in the morning. And one particular morning, he's coming home, and God... Starts dealing with his heart. And he starts thinking, I don't want to live like this anymore. he starts feeling the misery of his sin. Why? Because Mr. Sam Martin's been praying for him. Mr. Sam Martin's been his friend in high school. But he's quit high school. He don't want to be around Sam anymore. And months, months, months into this thing, being wayward, living for the devil, he goes home and he gets in bed and he says, God, I want you in my life, but I don't know what to do. And he remembers Sam Martin. The next morning he gets out of bed. Saturday morning he goes over to Sam Martin's house. He tells Sam, I can't do it anymore. I can't live like I'm living. Sam said, what you need, what you need is Jesus into, his, into your life. He doesn't tell him all the great theology. He just presents him the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. He tells him the storyline of what Jesus did and why he did it for him. And he and his buddy John get down on their knees, and they pray, and they ask Jesus into his life. That next day day was Sunday, and and Sam brought his friend John to church. And the pastor gave a call, and John lifted his hand and said, yes, I want Jesus. I know I prayed him into my life yesterday, but I want to do a public in front of everybody. I want Jesus in my life. They water baptized him. John then ended up going to Bible school, and everywhere he went, he would preach and preach and preach. And then John, somewhere later in his life, started this little church called Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. And then from that Lakewood church, you know, he touched the world. And from that Lakewood church, he had a son named Joel Osteen, who's now preached to more people in the history of humanity on television than anyone else has ever done. Frank, can I tell you something? Nobody knows Sam Martin. Nobody even cares about Sam Martin. But Sam Martin is like Philip. All he did was touch one soul, and that one soul touched millions and millions and millions of lives. Sam wasn't trying to hold on to some past revival. He just went after his little buddy who was his friend. And can I tell you something? Some of you are missing God's opportunity simply because you're trying to get somewhere else other than where you're at. Friend, if you're on a desert road, look around for an Ethiopian. Look around, I'm telling you, look around for a eunuch. Some of you guys are going to be at lunch today. You, my eunuch? Who's my eunuch? You, my eunuch? You're going to be looking God has put people in our lives that He's trying to reach. We're the Phillips, but we've gotten so caught up in trying to go back to the thing that was so precious to us, that was so noteworthy, that we miss the miracle that's on the desert road. I want you to know there's so many great miracles that are going to happen on the desert road. So let me kind of summarize today with a couple take home pieces. Write these down. Here's my takeaways from today's message. Number 1, you need to let go of yesterday's revival because there are awaiting miracles on the desert road. There are awaiting miracles on the desert road. Let go of yesterday's revival. There's awaiting miracles on the desert. Instead of talking about how great it was, how about you go ahead and look for the eunuch that's on the road with you so you can present to him or her the gospel truth. You say, I don't even like my job. Friend, there's somebody on your job that needs Jesus. Yeah, I don't even like, I got this new boss. He's an idiot. I tell you, he's a Satan worshiper. I tell you right now, we need to cast the devil out of him. Friend, can I tell you something? There you go. There's your Ethiopian eunuch who just needs God. Can I tell you something? You have no idea how much God's been dealing with people. People tell me all the time, if I'm just out playing golf, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get to playing golf and end up being paired with somebody and before I know it, about six, seven holes into it, they'll ask me, so what do you do for a living? Say, well, yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I have the privilege of being a minister. I, I get to a pastor at church. Oh, pastor, I'm sorry. Forget those curse words I was saying last time. <laughs> four, four or five holes. And by the end of it, they're like, you know, I'm miserable. I, every time, I'm miserable. I don't want to live like this. I don't, I don't sit around judging them or Brother, you're going to die and go to hell. <laughs> in fact, your, your mouth sounds like you've been in hell. And them, nicot- them nicotine sticks you've been smoking smell like you've been in hell. You know, I don't do all that. I just, just speak truth and love and just live it out. I'm not, I'm not looking to try to be somebody else. I'm not trying to get to somewhere else. Right here on this road, there's somebody that God set you up for. To do something supernatural. Here's the second takeaway, and that is you need you and I need to learn to come alongside someone. Spirit of the Lord says, go alongside of him. Everybody's waiting for somebody to get your cousin, say, maybe you're the one that's supposed to come alongside. Everybody's mad about their coworker. Maybe you're there to come alongside. Come alongside someone. What that means is come alongside. He's running. Do you understand what you're eating? Can you stop for a second? <sighs> yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of energy. But when you come alongside someone, they let you get into their chariot. They let you get into their world. They let you understand what they're dealing with. That's a miracle all in of itself. Then all of a sudden, they open their heart up. And you're able to speak truth to them. <laughs> we, were, we went out of town for a couple of days this week and just tried to do somewhat of a mini vacation, take the kids down to Slitterbahn. And <clears throat> so we were we we're on the little bus. You gotta ride between the water parks so everybody's wet and and you know and, and so it's amazing how many redneck people go to a water park. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> throw that out there. And so uh, and so we we're on this bus and my mom and dad came with us and and the little guy driving the bus is driving all crazy and, and dad said man you kind of wild driving this bus or something like that. And the guy goes, well that's because you don't know what's in this cup right here. Woo and, uh, and the guy sitting next to me goes, that's the kind of bus driver I want, somebody who knows how to drink and drive. And they're doing that whole thing. And Dad goes, yep, 34 years ago I got delivered from alcohol when Jesus came into my life. And everybody went, Oh. And so the dude sitting next to me, he didn't want to be outdone. He goes, well, I tell you what, ain't nothing like having a bear and driving a truck or something like that. And we didn't come back at him, didn't attack him, didn't say, brother, you're going to burn. That bear is going to send you to hell. We didn't do any of that. But let me tell you something. That man went home that night, and he could not lay his head on his pillow without hearing my dad say, 34 years ago, God delivered me from all that. And I don't need that anymore. I'm telling you something. You may not reap that harvest, but you may seed that harvest. You may... Water that harvest, you have no idea what's going to happen. See, this, this eunuch, he went to Jerusalem to find God. He's been on some kind of journey. John Osteen was already looking for God. God, see, God is convicting hearts and minds. God is already at work in people's lives. But until you and I come alongside of them, they have no point of reference for what's happening in their life. When you and I come alongside of them, say, hey, you know why you're miserable like that, right? Man, I love you. I'm not judging you, but you're miserable because you won't give yourself to Jesus. Let me tell you the power of the gospel. Let me explain to you the truth. Some of you are like, I can't do that because I don't have a Bible school degree. Friend, once you were lost and now you're saved, just tell that. That's the gospel. Come on, you used to be wicked and you're not as much anymore. (laughs) Just tell that. Just tell that. The power that changed your life came in your submission the king of kings and the lord of lords that's all they need to know here's the third piece I'd like you to take away and that is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation it's the gospel it's the good news it's the good news I, listen, I don't understand why preachers preach the bad news that's not what the bible talks. It talks about the good news the good news is though we are destined to hell because of our sin the king of glory died sacrificed his life, and he made a way where there was no other way. He made a highway off the highway. Come on, somebody. He made an escape route. Come on. He, he made an escape hatch. As we are plummeting towards the burning sun to be destroyed. He made an escape hatch so that you and I could live with him for eternity. Friend, that is good news. And I don't understand how people miss the power of the good news in sharing it with others. It's not so much about a slick presentation. It's not about, you know, see, black represents your heart. Red represents the blood of Jesus. And, then, and those are all wonderful tools, and I'll even give you some of those. But, friend, at the end of the day, it's about the gospel, the good news. That's the power. That's the power. Not you trying to, trying to convince them. Not you trying to, trying to give them some cool illustration that blows their mind. It's not you arguing Scientology with them or Islam with them. The good news, the power of God, is found in the gospel. When you share the gospel, what God did then that has power that convicts them. That is the secret weapon. That's what it was for me. That's what it is for you when you recognize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to die one day. I'm going to give an account of my life. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm destined to hell. But Jesus made a way. And here's the last takeaway that I would give you, and that is this from today's teaching, and that is one decision of obedience can change another's destiny. One decision of obedience. Man, there is no John Osteen without a Sam Martin. There is no revival in Ethiopia without a Philip. One decision of obedience can change another's destiny. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to minister to you as we go to close here. Thank you so much for embracing the word. I'm believing that over the next few weeks that you will have these encounters with those Ethiopian units of your life. I'm believing that as you make decisions of obedience to love on someone, to help someone, to share the gospel with someone, that their lives will be changed forever. I'm not talking about preaching at them or to them. I'm talking about a presentation of the power of salvation, the gospel you to close your eyes with me across the room who is God asking you to come alongside of some of you are still trying to go back to Samaria God's got you on a desert road, embrace the desert road look for the, look for the Ethiopian eunuch on your desert road you don't like, say I don't like my job friend, there's somebody on that job that you gotta minister to so that that road can come to an end So I don't like where I'm at friend let me tell you something, minister where you're at and then he'll transport you to where he needs you next. It'll be supernatural. Instead of complaining about your situation, instead of complaining about where you live, complaining about where you're involved in, minister truth, the gospel to everyone around you. And then what'll happen is when he has need of you, he'll move you miles and miles from that situation in one quick miraculous moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, who is God asking you to come alongside of? Is there a coworker that just grates against you? Is there a family member that everyone else is scared to talk to? Is there a neighbor kid down the street that you know needs God? Like you have this thing in your head. You keep, you keep seeing this kid or this coworker, or this boss. Friend, make a decision now. Young people, remember John Osteen, teenage friend, got him saved, presented him truth man and his family have done so much for the kingdom business. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to take this moment. Let it be a private moment between you and the Lord. And I want you to make a covenant commitment to say, Lord, I will be like Philip. I will present truth. I will obey you. I will love and minister truth to this individual. Come on. There's a person in your mind. There's a person that comes to your heart, even as I begin speaking about it. Who's the person you're supposed to come alongside? Not preach at from a distance. Not write a letter to. Come alongside. Because you got to get up in their situation. So you've got to get up in their chariot. you got to get up in their atmosphere, what they're comfortable with, to be able to present the power of salvation. Right now, as you got that person in your mind, and your heart, I want you right now to make a commitment to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll speak whatever you need me to speak. Father, I pray right now for each and every one of us that, Lord God, that we would come to a place of the power of one decision of obedience. One decision of obedience. Lord, who knows what will happen from there. This Ethiopian eunuch, when it changed his world, he went away and did great things because of one man's, one man's decision of obedience. Walked away from what was exciting and invigorating and thrilling to go out into the dry place into the miserable spot for that one. Father, I thank you the power of one. Thank you, Lord, each and every one of us right now. Come on, would you just seal by praying? Give me 10 more seconds to pray over that person who comes to your mind. Ask the Lord to tenderize their heart. Ask the Lord to prep them for an engagement that the two of you can have. Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you may say, Pastor, I really don't. I I hear what you're saying, but the truth of the matter is I'm not right with God. I can't present to others how they need to get right with God because I'm not right with God. I'm away from the Lord. Maybe you grew up in church, but just life happened, and it caused you to become cynical, and you just walked away. You came to church today. You came with us because you want something. Something's tugging at your heart. Maybe you're like John Osteen was. Maybe maybe you and a friend prayed the other day, but you know here now you, you need to make it right with God. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you've never been a Christian. Maybe you don't even understand this whole thing, but you feel and sense a truth that you've never felt and sensed before and you feel the guilt of your own sin see the God who created you wants a relationship with you that's, that's that feeling that you have is that distance you say well what do I have to do that's a great question but let me start by telling you that he did it all already see every sin you'll ever commit every sin you've already committed he already paid for there's a, an account with your name on it you say well what do you mean there's an account with my Jesus already paid for everything you'll ever do Every have done and and so how we access that account according to scripture is to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Christ the son of the living God and that all that forgiveness is extended to us but it takes us a bowing of the knee a bowing of our heart a decision to make him lord of our life I had to explain that to you today because I want you to make a good decision because remember we're talking about the power the power of a right decision today with every head bowed and every eye closed if you're away from God you want to become a Christian or you want to come back to the Lord, I would like to pray with you. And I want you to be bold and courageous enough to admit that to yourself and to heaven by lifting your hand right where you're at. If that's you, quickly lift your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I won't humiliate you. I won't embarrass you. But just quickly, thank you, sweet love. Anyone? Thank you, ma'am. Quickly, throw your hand up. Give about five. Thank you, bro. Anybody else? Thank you, sweet ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. So I don't want to live like this anymore. It's time. It's time for a change. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready. I want to be right with the Lord. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. you put it back down. Amen. Now today, I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is a private decision, although it be in public, right there between you and God. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud with you. And as you pray it, I want you to mean it. I want this to be sincere. Come on. You have the courage to lift your hand, to admit that you need it. God, have the courage to pray it through and say, God, come into my life. That's how we're going to pray right now, okay? So repeat this with me. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my wants, my desires. I lay it all down, and I ask you now to become the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash me clean of all of my sin. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, maybe for the first time, maybe for a returning time, coming back to you. I thank you now. Thank you now. The elephant in the room is removed. They've repented. They said, God, I need you. Lord, I thank you right now for grace and mercy falling upon them in a way they can sense it and feel it and know that you've forgiven them and know that they're okay and that you and them are on right terms now. And Lord God, that every bit, every bit of fear, every bit of all the lies from the enemy, you're going to go back and do it again. You are going to be, it's, you don't mean it. Lord, all of that, we just silence those. And We speak peace, and joy. That same joy that that Ethiopian eunuch had as he drove off from that spot recognizing the God of heaven and earth had touched his life. And that he found the real deal. Not a fake, the real deal. Lord, I pray right now for our congregation that over the next couple weeks when you speak to them, say, hey, talk to that one right there. Hey, pull that one aside. Go to lunch with that one. That, That we wouldn't reject it. And that, Lord God, that it would be hard to go to hell from South Dallas because of the men and women of church on the hill. And that Lord God, that there'd be no excuse when we stand there in line and our coworkers ahead of us. And he looks back and he says, I wish I would have listened. Instead of why didn't you tell me? Lord, I thank you right now for the power of the gospel unto salvation for all who believe. May we be proper and quick to recognize the one and not look past the one to go back to the fun from yesterday. Recognize the one. Make our eyes open to the one. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand?